said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Tapiwa Mutsuriwa. If you were asking what exactly is this, suppose you miss me in my winding of the sermon today, um, I would like you to remember this, occupy till I come. The moral purpose for which prophecy is given. May I pray with you? Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to, to be here, to hear you speak to us. Father, it is my sincere prayer that your Holy Spirit may take over my thought processes, may help me choose the right words that you want, and that when you speak to your children, they may be fed by the bread of life. And when you visit these, your children, visit me too. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Revelation chapter 1 and the verses 1 starts with these words. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified, signified it by his angel to his servant, John. Let me summarize the first segment of the, of the presentation and then go into presenting the summary, what I'm summarizing now. Prophecy has a pre predictive uh, element to it. And the church is very familiar with the predictive element. So that we can get to the prescriptive element, those are the two aspects uh, that I want to share with you. The predictive element of, the, of a prophetic text, um, sayings, if you like, on one hand, on the other hand, there is a prescription that prophecy comes with it, that, um, that moral ethic that it comes with. And that's where I want us to spend more time in. So let me just start with the predictive element of um, prophecy. And the best place to look at it is uh, where Jesus actually becomes a prophet who is predicting the future. It is... Um, as you may all know, Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives and looking over into Jerusalem. And with um, uh, emotion, he, he tells that no stone will be found upon another and that he wished to protect Jerusalem um, and protect the, the, the people protect the people under his wings. The disciples can tell that something is important in the heart of Jesus. He's predicting the fall of the city of Jerusalem and even the end of times. So they want to know when this would be. They're not asking for signs. Look at the text again. They're asking for one thing. They say, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign, not signs, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the disciples are asking for the sign. We ask, what is the sign? 
Because Jesus gives signs. And don't we, as uh, a people that God has called in the end times, even have a magazine called the what? Signs of the Times. And perhaps we are right because there are those signs that Jesus uh, enumerates in, in the text of Matthew chapter 24, mentions quite a few of them. I wonder whether those are the sign. I would like to share with you what I believe to be the sign. Um, you, you can have a, 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 a different view to this. That's all right. But for the purposes of this sermon, agree with me that Matthew chapter 24 and the verses 14 is directing us toward the sign. And I'll talk about the signs, what they are. But I want to talk about the sign here. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness and to all nations. The word nations is translated from the word ethnos, meaning ethnic groups, to all ethnic groups, and then the end will come. Here is the sign that the gospel shall be preached to all the world as a witness to all ethnos. Then the end will happen. Friends, I want to share with you, as we if you were watching with me what was happening at the General Conference, you will understand that of the 222 countries, if I'm not mistaken, that are registered with the United Nations, we are in 219 of them. That does not mean that we have done what we should do. The predictive nature of prophecy is saying that we should go into all the nations of the world. There is... Um, the Middle East window that we still need to, to get into. There are some churches there, some underground churches in many places, but there's still some work to be done. Through COVID, we understand that the devil is the instigator of COVID. It's not God. It is not the act of God. But as it always happens, that when the devil brings out something, God allows it to happen, not coming from him, then he outmaneuvers the devil at his game. We know that though this had come to destroy it, just like Joseph would have said to his brothers, I know you meant it for, for harm, but God, we know that the devil meant it to harm, but God has allowed us to be able through the ministry of um technology. We have managed to preach in many places. You have no idea what is happening. Places that we could not get into before. Through technology, we have managed to do it. And we praise the Lord for this. I'm talking about the predictive nature. God had foreseen this. And Jesus has foreseen that when we get towards the end, the message will swell into a loud cry. There will be an outpouring of, of, of the Holy Spirit on a, on, a, on a larger measure. We understand that um, the former reign, which is the early ministry of the, of the, of the, of, of the Holy Spirit, um, Joel tells us that it would be moderately. But we know that the latter rain will be poured out in abundance who will be poured out in abundance. 
and this work will be cut short in righteousness. God will do his thing through his church. This thing will soon be over. What about the other signs, Pastor Tapi? I would like to share with you that the other signs are not the sign. They are the context in which the sign comes. Let me say it one more time. We are not to focus on these other signs and sit down and say, because we have, if, if in fact Jesus says, these are the beginnings of the birth pangs, but the end is not yet. Sometimes, as a people, we get so focused on these signs and we get excited about them, and perhaps we should. But the sign is the preaching of the gospel. And Jesus has predicted it. That in this context, in these hard times, when there shall be rumors of war, when nations shall rise up against nations, when there shall be pestilences and diseases that cannot be cured, it is in that context that the sign, the preaching of the gospel will happen. And don't worry about it, God is saying, I know you are weak, you are frail, you are afraid, you are scared, but what I'll do is that I'll send the power of the Holy Spirit and he'll be able to help you in those times, the Holy Spirit will do his thing. I've since understood that it's not about my ability. It's about God, it's about my availability to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He has desired to do that. Before I move on to the next segment, God could have done his thing. Pastor Brent, I, 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 I used to say, that if God would allow me in the evangelism committee in heaven, I have a suggestion to make. And here is my suggestion. Why don't you just send that angel in Daniel chapter 12, that also comes in Revelation chapter 10, and come to Sydney. We don't need to hire a hall. We don't need the technical team. He just stands one of his foot in the sea, one of his foot on top of the harbor bridge, and he raises his hand to heaven. In one day, all of Sydney will come to Jesus. Don't you think? I would have suggested that if I, but I've since understood that God sends his church to all the nations because his work through us is his work in us. He wants to work within us. That's why he sends us. Sinners to other sinners. Now, that's Matthew chapter 24. Have you ever noticed that while we focus on that sermon, on that um, predictive element of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus does not stop, um, Sanya, he does not stop speaking in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus never intended 24, chapter 24, chapter 25. I'm not saying that is wrong to say chapter 24, chapter 25. But in his mind, he had no chapter 24 and chapter 25. Chapter 25 and chapter 24 are all in the same sermon of Jesus. He is still speaking. And as we focus only on Matthew chapter 24, we miss something that is important 
as you know, in all the speeches that we have listened to, the point of the message comes towards the conclusion. Amen? So, would you agree with me that when we focus on Matthew chapter 24, we have focused on the elements where Jesus is still building his argument and we have missed the conclusion of the matter? Because Jesus then moves from the predictive element of his prophecy to the prescription. And let me share with you Matthew chapter 25 in the next five minutes. Are you ready? Here is Matthew chapter 25. Summarized. It's the parable of the ten virgins. First, when you finish them, you go to the parable of the talents. Then you go to the parable of the sheep and the goats that uh, my friend has just read. What is Jesus saying about this? He's telling us how the gospel will be preached in the last days. The, the message of the parable of the ten virgins is that the church will be given the power of the Holy Spirit. There will be some in the church who will receive this Holy Spirit and be used, not use the Holy Spirit, but be used by the Holy Spirit. Is there a difference between trying to use the Holy Spirit because you could never if you tried and being used of the Holy Spirit? Some accepted this Holy Spirit, the wise ones. Some rejected it, the foolish ones. It is, isn't it foolish to want to proclaim the gospel with our own power. It is not just foolish, but it is impossible. This is a call by Jesus where he has moved from the predictive element of his, of his speech and he's inviting the church to receive the Holy Spirit. But I add that as far as the Holy Spirit is concerned, Jesus has left, at, left us with his own promise in Luke chapter 11, and the verse is 13. Don't you, fathers, earthly fathers, being evil, give your children good gifts? What more of me if you ask me of the Holy Spirit? Haven't we prayed prayers where God has said, no, I have known to live with prayers where God has, all the prayers, by the way, are answered. Where God has said, no, there are things that I needed in my life that I've prayed for, that God has said, tapi, no. Now I understand it as a father because I have children. There are things my children have needed and I've said, no. Even though I could give it to them, I know that if I give it to them, it's disastrous to them. And I'm learning to accept those things where God say no, even though I needed them. There are some times that I've prayed and God said, wait, I know some things that God is only answering now that I prayed for in, 19, in 1994. Just now, I'm beginning to receive. So God wanted me to wait for 30 years. God was, did not say no, he said wait. But as for the prayer of the Holy Spirit, if we are sincere, God never says no. 
And God never says, wait. He's more willing to give us the Holy Spirit than we are willing to receive him. The Holy Spirit yearns to connect with the church more than the, the church is yearning to connect with the Holy Spirit. Would the church say amen? This is the prescriptive element of the prophetic nature of prophecy. That when you understand this, you have to get into action. And the first, first point of action is ask for the Holy Spirit. Do you think the devil might want to deceive us to look at the signs and forget to be on our knees to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit? Because this is what the devil fears the most. It is not just talking about uh, the signs of the times. And I did not say we should not talk about the signs of the times. We should. Because it's part of the message that God has sent us to share. The hope that we have in Jesus. As we look at the predictive element, the point is, in this hopeless world, in this restless world, there is a rest that Jesus wants to give us. So we should preach the signs of the times. But the point is, as we look at this, before we stand up to go out and preach, we need, like the five wise virgins, to kneel down and pray, ask for the Holy Spirit, from God who is willing to give us the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered why Jesus moves on to the parable of the talents? It is because when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes laden with gifts. Amen? Then he gives us gifts. And these gifts, the point of the parable is that some did not use their gifts. Some used them. Um, we at Camden Valley, that is uh, where I'm working. I'm also at Fountain in the city, but I'm specifically speaking of Camden Valley. We have been blessed by the ministry that opened when COVID hit through um, our Facebook and YouTube ministries. We used to have about 20, 25 is a church plant pastor and that we're coming to church. Then we decided, okay, we're going to worship at home and we would live stream our, 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 our programs. And, and we, as we did this, we saw a few people in the church that used to sit in the back rows and not do most of the work. They came to the fore and started to do most of the work because they had the skills they are not the people that stand up front, but they know how to click the buttons and make things work. When the Holy Spirit comes, he comes with different gifts. And as, we, as that happened, we saw that through their ministry, at first, our church attendance every Sabbath grew to 100 and grew to 200. And our post-COVID attendance from a number of 20, 25, 30 has grown to 70. People are coming. And we 
are amazed at what God is doing. The reason I shared this is that as we were doing this, we wanted to do music and we didn't know what to do. So we appealed to people like Mars and Sanya and we said, do you have any videos that we can use? And they shared their giftedness with us. And we started using those videos and we started playing them for special items. Now we could invite people from anywhere. Uh, Mars, you have been at our church many times that you don't know of. You have blessed people that you know. So this, I say to you, the devil had meant it for harm. But God. Now, that's the talents, the giftedness that the Holy Spirit brings to the church. Why does Jesus go to the parable of the sheep and the goats? The goats to the left, the sheep to the right. Jesus qualifies what he meant. And here's the point. Jesus is concluding his speech. That when you understand prophecy, you get into action. And you don't get into action by your own power. You get into action because the Holy Spirit has come. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, these are the sheep. Amen, church? These are the sheep. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Wait a minute. Before you get to that prescription, to that send off, to do these acts of kindness, have you noticed that Jesus has assumed a first person singular here? He's saying, I was hungry. Jesus is referring to himself. That when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes to reveal Jesus in the less, in the less privileged. Can I share a little bit on that, Sanya? The Muslims have a shrine, a holy place they go to. The Jews, they are still there with respect, with due respect, uh, Pastor Berend, at the Wailing Wall. It's a holy place for them. Where do Christians go? Where do they find their holy place? Please don't tell me the church. The first church building is 300 years after Christ. And I'm, I'm not talking about I'm, the church. Yes, the church is the people. But the, the church building becomes holy because it's where God meets with people. It's not the bricks and, and the mortar that is holy. So where is the holy place? Where is the holy shrine? The idea of a shrine is where God lingers, right? Take off your shoes for the place that you're just about to enter is holy. Where does God linger? Let me share with you, friends. God is closest to the broken people. When you see a widow, you are standing in a holy place because God is close by. 
when you see a hungry person, when you see a homeless person, you have come to the shrine. Take off your shoes. It is when Mary and Martha are heartbroken that we see a little window into the heart of God. Jesus weeps. No, no, make no mistake about it. Jesus is not weeping for Lazarus because he knows in the next few minutes Lazarus would be back. Just read verse 33 before you read verse 35 of John chapter 11. Jesus looked at their heartbrokenness and he was moved with compassion and his heart broke. Jesus wept. We were being invited to see what goes on in the heart of God every day when people down here are suffering. When you come to the people that are suffering, you are standing in a holy place. We don't go to Jerusalem for a holy place. We don't go to Mecca for a holy place. We go to the suffering to meet with Jesus. The revelation of Jesus is where people are suffering. The church is being asked that the Holy Communion is not the only meal you can give as a church. There is a meal you can give. I'm so, so excited to see that you've got a pantry where you give. As we understand the predictive element and we see the signs that are getting fulfilled, the church gets into action. The church gets into action. Look at it, what it invites. Feed the hungry. Give water to the thirsty. Shelter the homeless. Clothe the naked. Visit the sick. Visit those in prison. Why? So that we can meet with Jesus. This is a holy shrine where we can come to because that is an act of worship. Why do we do this? We don't do this so that they can come to church. Amen? This is not a bait we throw at them so that we can reel them in. Hey, I did not say that they will not come to church through this. That's not the point I'm making. We do this because as we see the signs and we come to God and we kneel and the Holy Spirit comes down upon us, what he does is that he is the sealer, the character of God himself begins to be our, our character. We become as kind as God. We become as gentle as Jesus. Our hearts are broken when Mary and Martha are crying because the Holy Spirit comes to soften our hearts like the heat that softens the wax so that the stamp, the seal, can be put upon the wax, and then it takes the form of the stamp. Friends, in the last days, what God is yearning for, it is the reproduction of the character of Jesus in the church. And I'm talking about gentleness. I'm talking about kindness. This is the prescriptive element of the church, of, 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 of prophecy as we have seen in Matthew chapter 25. Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to any one of the least of these, 
you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The revelation of Jesus Christ that we are supposed to preach in the last days. And the last, time, last sign is the preaching of the gospel. Please come with me to the um, place where we find our marching orders. The self-definition of us as the remnant can be summarized in the text on your screens. Then I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. This is John's own version of Jesus, Matthew 24, 14. Amen? Preaching of the gospel to El ethnos. Here it has come again. Now understand, now I understand why Jesus is saying this. You cannot understand what's happening in Matthew and in Revelation chapter 14 unless you go to Revelation chapter 13, right? Please do not worry. I'm not just about to start a prophet's seminar on Revelation chapter 13. I only want one verse there. It says, it was granted to the beast and obviously the dragon behind the beast to make war with the saints. It means as we go towards the end, why these signs are happening, the devil is intensifying his game because he knows that his time is short. He's causing suffering upon people. Listen to what he says. He, the authority was given him over tribe, tongue, and nation. Now we understand why we are being sent to the same group of people, tribe, tongue, and nation, because the beast has caused pain upon them. And now the church is being sent to those same people that are going through a time of trouble. Church, go to them and relieve pain. And relieve pain. The devil was angry with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring. He's making a war. And the remnant, when they keep the commandments, they understand the letter of the commandment, but they also understand the spirit of the law because they have the faith of Jesus that has come by the power of the Holy Spirit. They've been given the faith of Jesus, the character of Jesus. So they keep the commandments because they have the character of Jesus. That's why in the last days, they can say we have fought a good fight. We have finished the rest. We have kept the faith that Jesus gave to us. And therefore, we went to relieve pain. Friends, I wanted to say, to share with you, that we are living at a time where people are going through pain. A lot of people have lost their jobs through COVID. It is right to see and maybe look at COVID as a sign of the time. But we are like the foolish virgins when we see the sign and don't get into action. When we preach COVID as a sign and we stop there, we should have gone out to see Jesus. Because when we go out to see Jesus, we also become the revelation of Jesus to the people who are suffering. This is why 
In conclusion, Ellen White says, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching to the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence, and then he bade them follow me. There's need for coming close to the people by personal effort. If less time were given to sermonizing about the signs and more time was spent in personal ministry, greater results would be seen. Then I love this. The poor are to be relieved, the sick to be cared for, the sorrowing to be bereaved, the sorrowing and the bereaved to be comforted, the ignorant instructed, the inexperienced counseled. We are to weep with those that are weeping, to rejoice with those that rejoice, accompanied by the power of persuasion and the power of prayer and the power of love of God. This work will not and cannot be without fruit. So don't miss the bus. Feed the hungry. Give water to the thirsty. Shelter the homeless. Clothe the naked. Visit the sick. Visit those in prison. For you are the revelation of Jesus Christ to the world. And God bless the reading of this word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, you have challenged us this morning to pray as we see the signs, the context in which we are going to do our work, that all these signs, the tsunamis, the hurricanes, the pestilences, the wars, the persecutions, they all happen because the devil is intensifying his game upon the nations. And you are sending us back to those nations to relieve the pain, to be a revelation of Jesus Christ. Because the more we work, the more we shall understand the heart of Jesus. I pray, Father, we have no power within ourselves. The the task ahead of us is huge. We don't know how to tackle it. But thank you for you have laid out a plan long before the time came. That's why you predicted it in prophecy that when we ask for the Holy Spirit, you will give him to us. As a church, we stand at your throne. We ask for the power of the latter rain to be poured upon our children, to be poured poured upon our young people, to be poured upon our young adults, our families, our grandpas and grannies, that your church may be saturated by the power of the Holy Spirit. The intended outcome is that we can have the character of Jesus that we can have the faith of Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. But this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was made available by the Watara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit waitarachurch.org.au.
He walked along the shores of Galilee From clay he formed the healing balm That caused the blind to see While stones of wrath lay heavy in their hands He knelt to write his mercy in the sand Jesus came to set the captive free By the way he lived, the way we need to be. Oh, love is more than words could ever say. We must touch them with compassion to help them find their way. How can we reach a world we never touch? How can we show? Show them love Just to say we care Will never be enough How can we reach A world we never touch Could we be so busy Being saved Trying to impress a world That's long since lost its way Clark family sang A World We Never Touch. And coming up next, Marlita Fong will sing Captive to the Call. 
feel your hand guide. I know that you are near me. In you I can hide. I bring my
This is Beautiful Hands by the Hamilton Family. Welcome to God's Favorite Shepherds, 
a collection of 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters, with many of the stories ending with a short quiz. Listen now to the author of God's Favoured Shepherds, Bill Ackland. Today's story is the last in my book entitled God's Favoured Shepherds. And the story is entitled, Why Did I Marry That Man? And the subtitle to the story is Hospitality Matters. And the story is based on the first book of Samuel, chapter 25. I am writing this when my past life has ended and a new life is opening up before me. A half a moon cycle ago, I could not have envisaged what was in store for me in recent days. My first husband is dead and my mind is in turmoil. What is going to happen to me now? I was only young when I married Nabal, less than 20 years since my mother brought me into this world. In those days, Nabal was an agreeable man, strong, able, and a man I was sure would be able to take care of me. I wondered why his parents gave him such an unfortunate name. It means foolish or reckless. He turned out to be just that in later years. With hard work and astute dealing, my husband increased his flocks and became quite wealthy compared to many of his peers in our town of Moan. This was a village on the edge of the wilderness of Judea. His flocks grazed around the well-known town of Carmel. Israel was unsettled during the reign of Saul, but perhaps things would improve when the next king came to the throne. We had heard that a young man from the tribe of Judah, the youngest son of Jesse, whose name was David, from the town of Bethlehem Ephrata, had been anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king. No one seemed to know when this would take effect. We knew that Saul hated David, who had been a fugitive for years, as Saul tried to kill him or have him killed on many occasions. However, one day, major trouble erupted for us without warning. David had sent ten of his band of warriors to Nabal's tent out in the country, where the shearers were shearing his 3,000 sheep to inquire if Nabal would be able to spare some food from the feast that he provided for his shearers during this time. The men were respectful, but reminded Nabal that David's men had guarded his sheep and shearers so that no harm had come to them when they were around the area of Carmel, nor did they take even one sheep for food. David's men were taken aback when Nabal shouted, What? You come here expecting me to give you some food that I have prepared for my shearers. I have no idea who this David is. There are many vagabonds around these days who have escaped from their masters, so you just go back and tell your leader to go and get his food somewhere else. When David's men reported to him what had happened, he was furious. Get your swords, men. We're going to teach this foolish man a lesson. I want 400 of my men to come with me and 200 to stay here and guard our property. In the meantime, 
One of our young servant boys came to me and told me everything that had happened when David's men approached Nabal for some food. He had refused to show them the usual hospitality that is part of our culture in this part of the world. The boy told me that David's men had protected our sheep and shepherds and had never taken anything from them. With wisdom beyond his years, this young boy suggested we had better be prepared for something bad to happen, as David had hundreds of warriors who were afraid of no one. I knew what I had to do, something quickly to appease David's anger. I commanded my servant girls to help me get together 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep who were already dressed, 35 litres of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins and 200 fig cakes. We loaded all this food onto donkeys and made our way to where David and his men were staying. I sent some of my servants on ahead to tell him that I was coming. On the way, the road went around a hill and when my party and I came to the other side, I saw David and his men with swords ready to use coming toward me. As soon as I came nearer to David, I alighted from my donkey, bowed low and expressed my sorrow that my foolish husband, a real scoundrel, had treated David with such a lack of respect and courtesy. I had prepared a lengthy speech for David and when I had said nearly all I wanted to say, I expressed the wish that God would deal kindly with him and that David would not punish me for the sin of my husband. When David saw the large amount of food I had brought for him and his men and heard my plea that he would show kindness to me and to my husband, he said, May the great God of Israel give you many blessings, for it was he who sent you to me today. May he bless you and the advice you have given me so that none of your family will be hurt. Otherwise, there would have been no male of Nabal's left by the morning light. He told me to arise and go back to my home in peace. I have accepted what you have said and acknowledge your bravery in coming to me in this manner. So I returned to my home and found Nabal feasting like a king. And as he had drunk so much wine, there was no point in talking to him until the morning. And did I have much to tell him? I explained to Nabal the next day all about my meeting with David, how that I had given him a large gift of food and expressed my sorrow and regret for what my husband had done. When I told Nabal that David did not now intend to come and kill his sons and all the men of our household, he fainted and looked as though he were dead. He was not. But in ten days' time, the Lord punished him for his unkind and belligerent behaviour, and he died. David soon heard that Nabal was dead, and when the time of mourning had ended, he sent a party of his men to see me, to ask if I would become his wife. I agreed, and in the customary manner of our times, responded by saying, that I would be his servant to wash the feet of my Lord. So when I prepared myself, 
I rode on my donkey, accompanied by five of my servant girls, and became David's wife. My name is Abigail. Now I have a quiz for you. Apart from David, who were the two main characters in this story? What occupation did Nabal pursue? Did he do all his farm work alone? Who was David's father? How many sheep did Nabal have? Did Nabal give David's men some food when they were hungry? Name some of the food items that Abigail took to David and his men. And who did Abigail marry when Nabal died? You've been listening to God's Favoured Shepherds, a book with 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters. If you have any comments or questions, or to obtain a copy of this book, give us a call within Australia on 02-4973-3456 or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.